Sophia woke up early Sunday morning. It had been a terrible night of sleep. But now she was wide awake and going back to sleep was hopeless. She stumbled downstairs and found Andy, her husband. He looked a wreck. Obviously, sleep had eluded him as well. They had talked late into the night about what they would say to the pastor this morning. The church was growing rapidly. So many people were giving their lives to Christ and joining the church that there wasn't room enough for people in their two services. So many teenagers were surrendering their lives to Christ that the youth center was jammed. So the pastor announced a capital campaign to build a new worship center and youth center. A number of people gave some serious gifts. Some of Sophia and Andy's best friends sold their vacation home and gave it all for the capital campaign in the church. Word of their generosity spread like wildfire. Andy and Sophia wanted to do something similar and receive praise from their friends. So they made a vow to God and shared it with the pastor that if God helped them sell a rental property, they would give all the money to the church. They put their property on the market immediately. They set it at a high price because the market was hot. People were paying tens of thousands of dollars over asking price just to get the home. Their realtor called and said they had a couple interested in buying their home. Not only that, but they were willing to pay way over their asking price to make sure they got the home. That's when Andy got a bright idea. Hey, since we got so much more than we were expecting, why don't we hold back some for ourselves? We can make some home improvements we've been wanting to do, and we can add to our rainy day fund. No one will know because we got so much more than we expected. They could have the best of both worlds. They could receive praise from people for giving a huge gift, but not sacrifice so much. Sophia wasn't so sure this was a good idea. She remembered when they made the decision to sell a rental house and give it all to the church, and they felt like that was the first time they'd ever made a sacrificial gift. And they felt good about it, that they were doing something that would make room for people to give their lives to Christ. Uh, they're never happier in their marriage. But when Andy said, you know, nobody's going to know, and you'll have some extra money for some new clothes, that did it. And so she went along with the plan. She got up early to help Andy get his finest clothes ready so he looked his best for the church. She let him go, and then she was going to wash her hair and put on her best dress and come a little later. When she entered the sanctuary, she glanced around. She wanted to find Andy to find out how things went. Where was he? She looked around at people, and they dropped their eyes. Some people looked away. Something was wrong. What was it? Before she was seated, the pastor asked her pointedly, did you sell your property for this 
price. She wanted to just share the whole deal and be honest about it, but she couldn't contradict her husband. So, yes, she winced as she said it. That was the price. Why have you conspired with Satan and your husband in this lie? The pastor's tone was unusually harsh. Something was wrong. Where was Andy? The men who buried your husband are at the door and they're ready to come and take you out as well. As he said that, she felt sick to her stomach and a sharp pain in her chest and she slumped over. Worshippers had never seen anything like it. A couple came to church, presented their gift to God and both of them died. Frightening story, isn't it? It's an original. I made it up. Actually, it's based on a true story Luke wrote about in Acts chapter 5. If you have your Bible, turn to Acts 5. If you want to use one of ours under the seats, it's on page 1094. It's said that truth is stranger than fiction. You'll find this is true. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Now, some people look at this and say, aha, here's communism at work. Everybody shared everything in common. This is not communism. Communism is a centralized government that confiscates property. Nothing's voluntary. These people gave voluntarily. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The resurrection is the big deal. That's what started the church. Jesus came back to life. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. All that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. It was their decision. It wasn't required of them. Brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. Barnabas was the man who mentored the apostle Paul when the apostle Paul became a Christian. And he went with Paul on his first two missionary's journey. His name means sons, son of encouragement. Sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sophia, I called them Andy and Sophia, Sapphira, I'm sorry, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge. He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? So Peter makes it very clear. You didn't have to give a dime. And after you sold it, The money was still yours. 
You didn't have to give any of it or all of it. What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. So they were pretending to give more than they were actually giving. You with me? When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. People are usually placed in the annals of history in one of two ways. Either they are remembered for acts of heroism or acts of treachery. We remember Homer for writing the Iliad. Hippocrates, the father of medicine. Aristotle, foremost scholar of the ancient world. Abraham Lincoln, Emancipation Proclamation. Thomas Edison, incandescent electric lamp. Albert Einstein, formula to convert mass into energy. E equals mc squared. On the other hand... Cassius is remembered for his conspiracy to assassinate Julius Caesar. John Wilkes Booth for the murder of Abraham Lincoln. Adolf Hitler murdering 6 million Jews. Mao Zedong starving 70 million Chinese. During the Cultural Revolution, 1966 to 1970, he tried to force his nation from an agrarian society into an industrial uh, one, and 70 million died. Joseph Stalin put to death 30 million Russians in their prisons, the gulags. Osama bin Laden, mastermind behind the terrorist attack on 9-11-2001. What is true in historical history is true in biblical history. Moses is remembered for communicating God's Ten Commandments. Esther for rescuing God's people in Persia. Nehemiah rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. On the other hand, Esau is remembered as a fool who sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. Samson threw away his life. He was a good leader due to weakness for women. Judas is remembered as the traitor who betrayed Jesus. And now, Ananias and Sapphira who lied to God about their giving. This uh, account demonstrates the honesty of biblical writers. Now, this is one of the reasons you can believe the Bible. Luke does not suppress this tragic episode. He doesn't just tell us good stories about miracles and people giving their lives to Christ. He points out the spirit-filled community was not all romance and righteousness. 
two early believers lost their lives for lying to God. Now, you may be offended by the severity of this punishment. Could not Peter just have reprimanded Ananias and Sapphira and warned them not to do it again? Wasn't this punishment way over the top? I mean, they lied, but putting them to death? Come on! Why did God do that? We live in a human-centered world. We see ourselves as the highest authorities. We're quick to say, this isn't fair. Yet we give little thought to God's rights. God needed people to see that the church is the body of Christ. When you give your life to Christ, you're joining His body. The church is holy. Why does God make such a big deal about honesty? I think it is because God knows a totally honest church makes a huge impact. I find three reasons honesty is so important to God. One, failure to be honest destroys our relationship with God. Ananias and Sapphira were under no obligation to give any money, let alone all the money from the sale of their property. Peter made clear that the money was at their disposal. That's not the whole story, however. In keeping back, uh, in declaring that Ananias uh, had kept back part of the money for himself, Luke chooses the Greek word nosphitsomai, which means to misappropriate. We have to assume that before the sale of the property, Ananias and Sapphira had made a vow to God and had shared it with Peter that if God helped them sell their property, he would, they would give all the money to the church. Then when they brought only some and not all, they were guilty of deceit. Apostles' complaint was not so much their lacking honesty, bringing only part of the sale price, but that they lacked integrity, bringing a part while pretending to bring all. It was the deceit in wanting credit for a sacrificial gift greater than they were actually making. The beginning place in a relationship with God is to be honest with Him. You tell Him what you believe about Him. You tell Him what you have trouble believing about Him. Same thing goes with giving. You tell God why you have trouble with giving, what your worries are, your fears are. Dishonesty about where we are hinders our relationship with God. Second, failure to be honest destroys our relationship with people. If God let their sin of deceit go unpunished, the magical fellowship in groups, in homes, and in the temple courts would not have been preserved. And the modern cry, there are so many hypocrites in the church, would have been heard from Jerusalem around the world. God knows that if the Christian mission of reaching the world for Christ is to succeed, 
people cannot lie to one another about who they are and where they are spiritually. You may wonder why when Sapphira came to church, Peter didn't tell her, hey, your husband lied and he's now dead, warning her so she didn't have to face the same fate. We always know God is fair. We don't know Sapphira's level of involvement in the deception. Maybe the whole idea was hers. What we know is she had a chance to come clean. When Peter asked her, was this the sale price for the property? When she lied, she became as guilty as her husband. There's a lesson here about marriage. When God brings a husband and wife together in marriage, the purpose is for them to become better together than they could be apart. Whoever came up with the idea to be deceptive, the other should have said, stop! When Jory and I got married, we knew that getting married meant more than us just wanting to be together because we enjoyed each other. We knew that God wanted to take us together and do more with us in this world than we could do separately. Here's what we wrote in our vows. I choose you today and every day as long as I live to be my wife, husband, being convinced that God has prepared us in our individual lives and graciously brought us together. You remember, I lived in San Francisco. God brought me all the way to Chicago to meet Jory. We have no doubt he brought us together. I believe that being together, we can better become the people God wants us to be than we could be apart. I commit myself with God's help to challenge you to greater faith in God, to encourage you in good times and hard times, to love you as a gift from God to be received and not as a possession to be used to this end I give you myself. God expects husbands and wives to hold each other accountable for becoming all that God wants them to be. When it comes to giving, spouses should encourage each other, challenge each other to greater faith in God. In our marriage, it's always been joy that's encouraged us to give more. During a 15-year period when we published seven books, Jory said to me, I think we should give half of our royalties to the church. I nearly choked. Are you serious? I replied. Couples, spouses, are to challenge each other to greater faith in God. Third, failure to be honest destroys our witness to the world. The key to understanding this account is verses 5 and 11 of Acts 5. Whenever a writer repeats something twice or more than twice, pretty good clue that this is his main point. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then he repeats it. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Fear seized the church. People knew miracles were happening and people were giving their lives to Christ. But they also learned this is serious. They found that when they give their lives to Christ, they are joining a supernatural community that is led by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit sees the heart 
I mean, Ananias and, Ananias and Sapphira had to be pretty dumb to think that they could pull off this lie when the Holy Spirit was the leader of the church. When you realize that the Holy Spirit is leading the church and sees the heart, it really makes you want to cut the deception. But the power of the Holy Spirit in this case did not scare people away. Luke tells us that the church grew even more rapidly. People became honest about their commitments. Southwest Airlines was almost brought to a halt this last week when hundreds of pilots called in sick in protest for the vaccine mandate. Something similar happened years ago. It was really a totally different circumstances. Forty years ago, the union called a strike for air traffic controllers. 13,000 out of 17,500 nationwide went on strike. It brought air travel to a stop. So Ronald Reagan, who was president at the time, called together his cabinet and said, what are we going to do? We've got to get the air travel moving. So they talked about all the different options, and toward the end of the meeting, Reagan said, didn't they sign the oath like we all signed not to strike against the government? And they'd, they'd never thought about that, so they, they found out quickly and learned, yes, all air traffic controllers had signed an oath not to strike against the government. So President Reagan called a press conference and he said, I want all air traffic controllers back at work in 48 hours, otherwise we will terminate your jobs. And the media was eating out of his hands. They realized these people broke their oath. They didn't keep their promise. Even in a culture where lying has become common, people recognize the importance of of keeping promises. A totally honest church makes a huge impact. When you feel you can trust the pastor and people seem authentic, in the church you feel safe. Since this account is about people lying to God about giving, let me make a couple uh, comments about giving. One, face the facts. We need to face the facts that we are the rich people in the world. We have more cars, TVs, computers, and cell phones than people in any other nation in the world. We ought to face the facts about our income, our spending, and our giving. We need to face the fact that the biggest reason we struggle with giving is because of what we're giving to the bank. When we have mortgage debt car debt, furniture debt, school loan debt, credit card debt, that cuts into our ability to give to God. If money could talk, this is what I believe it would say. I'm easy to keep up with. If you keep good records of what your income is and what your expenses are, I'm easy to keep up with. But if you don't do that, you have no record of your income and and what you're spending on, and you go deep into debt, I'm difficult to catch up with. Once you get behind, it's hard. Second, speak the truth. Pastors need to speak the truth 
about what the Bible teaches about giving. So people make decisions based on a biblical worldview, which is that we, all of us, when we die, we can't take anything with us, but we'll live forever. So when we give money, we're not throwing it away. We're investing it in God and in helping people come to God. Most of us live what I call ash heap lives. We buy all kinds of things that will end up in the city dump and never make it into eternity. I think we need to speak the truth about what it means to give generously. For years I've taught that God uh, teaches us in the Bible to give back the first tenth of all that we earn. If we do, God promises to be supernaturally involved in our finances. Who in their right mind would want, not want God supernaturally guarding their finances? Some people say the New Testament does not emphasize tithing. So why do you? It's true. The New Testament emphasizes grace. We're free to choose what we give on the basis of our gratitude to God. But how do we know if we're giving generously? It helps to have guidelines. I've shared this before, but if you go out to eat and you're very happy with the service you received, you want to give a generous tip. But if you don't know the guidelines, and let's say your bill comes to $100, and so you throw down $5, and you smile at the waiter on the way out thinking you've given a great tip, not knowing that the standard is to give 15% or more. We appreciate guidelines. The New Testament teaches that out of love for God, generosity means outdoing whatever was done in the Old Testament. If they gave 10%, we ought to give at least that much or more. Third, set an example. So Joseph, called Barnabas, Sold a piece of property. He was a leader in the church and gave it to the church. He set an example. Jory and I have, all, Jory and I have always given 10% of our income to God. In many years, we've given quite a bit more. And God has met all our needs. You cannot outgive God. Finally, step out on faith. The number one obstacle to giving is our trouble believing that if we give, God will meet our needs. If you've never stepped out in faith by giving back to God the first tenth of your income, I challenge you to do so this year. If me saying this takes your breath away, well then start with giving something and maybe work toward the benchmark. A totally honest church makes a huge impact. Let's be honest with God this week. Let's be honest with people. And let's be honest about our giving. If you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, you can do so right now as we pray. Father, thank you for this story. It's a terrifying story. Two people lied to you, and you took their lives. Father, Help us this week to be honest with you about what we believe, our relationship with you, and honest with other people about who we are and honest about our giving. I'd like to give you a moment to pray right now. Just tell God you want to be honest with him.
about where you are and honest with people all through the week and honest about your giving, you pray. And if you've never given uh, your life to Jesus Christ, tell him you believe he was raised from the dead and invite him into your life. Father, thank you that you give the Holy Spirit to all who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And we have supernatural power in our lives and in the church. And we want to live honestly before you and other people this week. In Jesus' name we pray.